welcome to the Agile BI podcast, where we chat with guests or sometimes just to ourselves about being agile with teams who are delivering data, analytics, and visualizations. Welcome to the Agile BI podcast. I'm Shane Gibson. I'm Blair Tempero. And today, Blair and I are going to have a little chat to ourselves. We uh, attended a conference, uh, Agile conference here in Wellington last week, uh, which is called JAFAC, and it stands for Just Another Fricking Agile Conference. Um, so it was a pretty awesome conference, kind of uh, run by uh, an Agile consulting company here in New Zealand called uh, Nomad 8. And they'd run JAFAC uh, three times up in Auckland, and this was the first time that they ran it here in Wellington. From memory, it would have been whatever can Blair to 250 people in the room yeah yeah 100 100 each side plus and you know from my point of view was pretty much the uh, who's who of agile in Wellington um, you know people that I've followed on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter for a long time so really really interesting conference so what we thought we might do is uh, talk a little bit about uh, our views or the nuggets we got from some of the speakers put a bit of context around it it was uh, a two-day conference and they broke the conference up into two sections each day so the morning sessions uh, were presentations from um, keynote speakers effectively uh, and then in the afternoon it moved to an open space framework where there were a number of slots and uh, each of the attendees of the conference could put up something they want to talk about. And it was around about, from memory, half an hour for each, each slot. Yep. And then uh, the conference attendees would then move to each one of those conversations, have a chat about the subject that had been put up on the board. So quite a, a really good uh, way of getting engagement from the entire audience uh, to enable everybody to, to have a bit of a chat about something they're passionate about and, um, and talk to each other, which is always good. So what we thought we'd do is, uh, yeah, we'll just have a bit of a chat and, and see what we kind of each got out of uh, some of those, those presentations. So who, who are we going to talk about first? I think we'll talk about Ruth Brown. So Ruth has been working as head of people at TradeMe. Um, so she went through some of her experiences, um, especially um, bringing Agile and UX into the, um, into the people space. Yeah, so what, what interests me there was uh, Ruth has been, looked like she's spent uh, a lot of time doing UX uh, and customer engagement uh, for software development, uh, working with Agile teams. And what she talked about was taking those patterns and those ways of working uh, and using them with employees to, to understand uh, where the employees sit, what's important to them. So, yeah, there were some really interesting things in terms of techniques she used to get employee engagement where um, they could understand what, what was important for them. You know, one of the examples she used was uh, trying to work through which of the values that that organisation were, were top of mind or were really important. And she used an example where um, she provided, you know, in, in some of the interview sessions, the, the values and and, and some interactive workshops and people would rate the values in terms of the ones they thought were important, the ones they thought the organisation was executing on. 
Um, and she talked about how she went into one of the sessions and she kind of forgot to bring the material with her. And so she winged it. And uh, what she realized as part of that is the only real value from Trade Me at the time that everybody could remember was, uh, I think it was number seven, Don't Be a Dick. The other ones were top of mind. And so as a result, they refined those values down to four key values um, that became memorable. Um, and, and kind of testing it later, um, those of those stuck. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I liked how they turned them into avatars as well and had yeah. them around the building. Yeah, Just, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, it's in terms of recognition of values, if you've got an avatar or some sort of persona, then it's going to reinforce that. So I thought that was awesome. Yeah, about that kind of branding and that yeah. visibility yeah. and that, you know, it's not just posters on the walls, it's something more fun. Yeah, something so, that's alive, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the other one that was interesting for me was uh, she started uh, talking about the journey they were going down around bonuses and, and the way you pay people. Um, and that's particularly interesting to me at the moment because if we look at hierarchical organisations, often uh, each of the team members are paid a bonus you know, based on some kind of corporate performance. But the bonus is tagged to their salary uh, and their performance. And if we're creating these self-organising teams – how do we actually uh, enable the team's success to be given, uh, you know, to drive the bonus or the, the compensation structure, but while also retaining the, the you know, the, the equity of people who uh, whose roles are more senior and therefore mm. they, they get remunerated more. So, um, unfortunately, she didn't have a great, you know, she, she hadn't done the work yet, so didn't have the, the magic answer for me, but uh, that was something that, that I... That was your question. That <laughs> was my question. I was like, yeah, let me let me get the answer for this one and uh, freebie. But no, um, she was still working on that. So. Yeah, it's when she goes, oh, that's a very good question. And you go, <laughs> oh, okay, maybe in future yeah, sessions. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll look for the next one she presents at right. and see if she solved it for Definitely not guilty for, you know, for, for thinking about it. Nope, nope. So I thought that, that use of UX and customer-facing techniques um, to work with your, your people in the organisation was pretty cool. Right, which one we want to talk about next? Uh, Charlotte Walsh from Jade. Yeah, this this was kind of one of my favourite. Okay, uh, well, then you have lots to <laughs> um, So Charlotte talked about when she uh, was working for an organisation, Dynamic Controls, I think, which from memory was an organisation that made uh, automated wheelchairs or, or wheelchairs that were motorised. That's right. Um, and she was at the senior leadership team um, and she talked about the journey of, of moving what was quite a traditional hierarchical organisation into this uh, agile way of working and some of the challenges she had there. Um, and then she moved from uh, Dynamic Controls to become the CEO of Jade Software. Um, and again, she talked about the fact that you know, when she made that change, how she could actually start off this agile transformation of Jade and, and cascade it down through the organisation and some of the challenges she had around there. So That's right. It was moving leaders into coaching that um, I wrote down as a, as a learning from, from, that, from that little chat. Yeah, and I think also, you know, uh, the idea that sometimes, you know, people vote themselves off the island. So she mm -hmm. talked about um, That's right. at Dynamics, you know, they were as they went through that, that cultural change from being managers to leaders, some of the people decided that actually while they could see the value of it, it wasn't something they wanted to do. Yeah, so it was quite a tidy handshake and, and sort of transition by the sounds of it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and I find that when I'm working with new teams, you know, uh, 
you know, if you work with a large enough team, some of that team, you know, some people on that team are, are going to decide as they go down this journey that actually it's not for them uh, and they need a safe way to stay in the organisation and move off to do something that's uh, not so dynamic as, as the way the teams are working. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought yeah. that the fact that uh, C-level sponsorship would seem to be critical to, to making business agility yep. and make that change um, and that, you know, even with that sponsorship, it's still a long, hard road. Yep. So, um, so Charlotte asked the question: Has the organisation really made a decision to work in another way? So that's, that's what I got out of that. Yeah. Um, so I think she she gave us one example where she kind of came in, you know, worked bottom up, even though she was on the leadership team. Yeah. Um, and then another one where she's gone in and and working top down. So. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Who we go next? Sandy Davy. This was my favourite one of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so Sandy Davy was talking about the fact that she was the chair of a uh, not-for-profit organisation over in, in Australia called Choice, which is uh, the equivalent of Consumer New Zealand that we have here in New Zealand. And she was talking about being on a board and how an agile you know change to the way the organisation works is perceived by the board and, and what's important. So I think, you know, you, you were mentioning just before we started recording that, you know, that whole concept of OKRs was uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. And the example that Sandy used was um, a legacy list of, um, you know, like a business a business plan of 42 items, I think it was. And just how hard that is to work with. There's a prioritisation issue, so they moved to a, a concept of OKRs, which, in her in her words, made it really hard for managers to hide. You can't hide from an OKR, whereas you can come up with an excuse for not doing a certain item on the business plan. So I thought that was awesome. So OKRs are the way forward. <laughs> cool yeah, Sandy. And I think yeah. So I think the other one that I picked up that was really interesting was she seemed to have a very good, strong relationship with the CEO of the organisation. Totally. So that uh, that kind of symbiotic relationship where the board and the CEO are um, kind of encouraging or, or embracing this new way of working seemed to be really important. There was another one there that, that I found interesting as well is that, um, again, traditional organisation, you know, she talked about uh, that's, you know, the, the feedback is often, that's why we've always done it. And so what they did was they set up an innovation capability that sat slightly outside that organisation mm. to try and, and disrupt what their product or their their kind of market was. I've seen that happen before and uh, often see it fail because ends up being what I call the toy shop effect. Um, you know, oh, yes. The people who are in this new innovative startup move outside the organisation, they tend to go to a different building, they have a really cool space and they become incredibly disconnected. So two behaviours tend to happen, they become the toy shop that actually don't deliver anything and they never really bring that way of working back in. Um, so I asked a question around, around that um, about how did she manage that and she said, well, while they were still a, an innovative startup, they were still in the building, you know, yep. uh, in a separate part of it, but still in the building, so they were still connected. The OKRs, and there was a whole lot of focus around actually making sure that um, when they were experimenting or researching or were doing something like that, there was proof points coming back to, to make sure they were delivering value, not just playing. And that co-location meant that you know they could then start bringing some of that new ways of working back into the rest of the organisation over time. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I was also interested in... Um that they, they had a huge cash reserve and they were um, 
this has got nothing to do with their job, but they moved from being a, you know, essentially holding it in the bank for 2% to start looking at innovation and um, ways to invest that money, um, yeah. you know, from the 60-year-old company or organisation that it was, it's actually changing their business model. Um, I think that, that cash reserve actually was critical. So I think, uh, you know, they, they had a couple of things there I thought was interesting. Um, they had a compelling reason for change. Their, their business model, which was focused around um, product reviews and, and yeah. testing, um, was getting challenged by some, some new startups. Yeah. They had a subscription model for a paper magazine that they knew eventually uh, would become a, you know, a dead product. She hasn't um, managed to get rid of it yet. No, but. no, it's still incredibly profitable, apparently. Um, so so the organisation had to make a change or it wouldn't survive. Yeah. And that cash reserve, I think, I, I kind of saw it gave them permission to experiment without yeah. having to worry so much, right? If they were having to bootstrap the funding for this, I think yeah. their approach may have been different. But um, I think Sandy talked about a three-year managed deficit. Yep. You know, versus short-term profit. Yep. So... The new versus the old. Yeah, so that that board recognising that something had to change, and uh, oh, and the other one that I, I found really really interesting was uh, that the board foc- you know originally was focusing on the what and the how. You know, so they were man. You know, I think the example she used was somebody went to um, watch a kid play sport and came back and said, "We need a mobile app for uh, sports injury." So yeah, from a board point of view, that's that's very transactional. And she talked about one of the changes to you know, moving to more of a business agility model was the board needed to move themselves up to the the why. And um, I think the um, you know the the OKRs did that in a way. So the forty two item business plan is really getting into the into the what's and the and the hows. Yep. So the OKRs are really the whys and. Yep, I think so, and I think well, didn't we? Didn't we weren't didn't we going to get Andy back at some stage to talk us through OKRs a little bit in more detail, or was that Pete? I can't remember. I do remember somebody talking about OKRs, and I was going, "Oh, that's an area I need to do some research." And yeah, so, Andy or Pete? Yeah, no, it's one of them. We'll get them back on. Excellent. All right, who we got next? Sonia Williams, co-founder of Sharesies. Yeah, so I mean, for me, this was interesting because she she talked about a startup that she was. Uh, Involved in Sharesies. One of the interesting things about that was uh, the fact that there were seven co-founders. So that's quite a large group and, and interesting the way they manage the tension and the roles for those seven people. I kind of actually thought it was such a cool cool company that I actually went and signed up. Oh, <laughs> I was while, thinking while, that too. While I was sitting there. I and, think they uh, would have got at least four converts then from there. Yeah. Because our whole team's... Under sharesies. Yep, yep. Just to, to you know, see how it works and and uh, see see what I can do with it. So yeah, I thought that was that was kind of interesting uh, view from a from a startup and, and what they did. Yeah, and the catchphrase that was most um, caught in my mind was the focus on solving problems, not being perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very agile, of course. Yep. Yeah, and also that idea of you know experiment early and. Figure out where you, in this case, where your market is, but the same thing with agile teams, right? Um, yeah. You know, experiment and uh, figure out what's going to work and uh, change the plan if uh, things aren't working as well as you hoped and, and just pivot around to something that will work. So, uh, yeah, I found that one uh, And the um, minimum lovable product, not MVP, um, that's one thing that stuck out. It's really cool. 
um, the admittance of guerrilla testing, which I think I was part of in a cafe, got asked to um, look around a mobile app, sort of wireframe, and choose oh, really? which direction. Yep. Yeah, actually, they did mention they did quite a lot of wireframe testing, didn't they, yeah. to, to do it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, mm. a good way of, of testing that. Something we probably don't do a lot and enough in data and analytics in terms of actually testing the wireframes through iterations. Yeah. Well, now we're moving more into well, we are into UX and you know CX wireframes will be paramount. Mm-hmm. Who have we got next? We've got Nigel Dalton, Rear Group Chief Inventor. The best cool name here. Yeah, and um, yeah, quite a quite a entertain. Yet again, oh, I've got to say, all the speakers were entertaining. You know, absolutely, it was, uh, uh, compelling to listen to. So he was the one that talked about the book of Dave. That's right. And for me, the kind of key theme of his presentation was agile can often be seen as a religion. Uh, you know, there's a, a set of um, uh, manuscripts that that shall be followed. That's dangerous uh, if that's how people. If that's the only thing people do. Um, so I thought that was that was quite interesting. He very entertaining way of talking about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, based on a book that he read for some dystopian um, sci-fi story. Yeah. But the key message being, you know, if you pick up the manifesto and the principles, and and that's you know the thing, or or a methodology, and and you mandate that that's the only way to do it, um, you're not really letting your teams self-organize and find their own ways of working. That's right. And what can we do to avoid history judging us as naive and and foolish <laughs> transformation <laughs> jesters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I think he was. Uh, I'm not sure. Was he talking? I don't think he was a great fan of transformation as much as transition. But that could be me uh, um, imposing my views onto uh, something that yeah. he may or may not have said last week. Yeah. Yeah. No, highly entertaining. And the book finally got there as far as. What it had to do with his journey. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was good. One one of the other speakers was uh, Helia, who we've had on the podcast before, and she was uh, talking about her journey with uh, with the sensors for for housing. Um, one of the things I found interesting about her one was she she made reference to a, a government organisation that is putting sensors into houses. Some of the the rights to that data that the tenants should have that the agency believes uh, they they shouldn't provide, and so that yeah that although not really in the agile space, it's kind of uh, close to my heart with with some of the stuff I'm doing in the data space right now about you know if we are collecting information about other people, where is that that line in the sand uh, that you know, between black, white, and grey, about what what that data can and can't be used for. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, um, and it's that. that whole elephant in the room about data sovereignty and um, yeah, yep, big big things for us here in New Zealand. So you know the the um, the tongue, you know the the ownership of that data, mm. um, and uh, but what also is is right and um, interesting. I was just reading a, a, a blog post today. Um, with this idea of, uh, of uh, data trust or a trust network. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether um, in, in the article there was uh, a reference to a government organisation here in, in Wellington that is grabbing data from commercial organisations, putting it together with data they have, and then making that uh, commercially available to people for use. And so that was seen as a, as a first step in this idea of a, 
of a data trust network. And, and for me, I'm not sure I'm so comfortable that the government agencies are the ones putting data together and then selling it. I'm not yeah. sure that's my definition of data trust, but I think that's probably going to be a bit like the Book of Dave, right? There's <laughs> going to be some uh, semi-religious arguments around uh, use of data and what is good and what what's black, what's white, and what's grey. So, yep. um, and Hedy had a very strong has strong thoughts on that, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, what we must pay to use the service. Um, yeah, how it's been collected. Yeah, a big topic. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things that came out really, really strongly from the the whole two days was that passion. You yeah. know, passion of the people there, passion and agile. In one of the open spaces <coughs> conversations I went to, uh, there was a very robust discussion around. Uh, certification of agile coaches. You know, should uh, agile coaches uh, be go through a certification basis? And that then went into a whole conversation around was that certification around competency or or not? So, you know, is it filling out an exam, right? Mm -hmm. Or actually, is it proving um, that you're competent by coming back and referencing um, the customers you've worked with and the experiences and what you've learnt and that one again it, it was quite a robust discussion yeah I probably should have gone to that one rather than how can I make part-time agile work in an organization oh was there an answer um with difficulty <laughs> and I think I passed you in the um hallway and told you where I was going yeah. and you're like oh yeah good luck <laughs> as you went to find out about agile coaching yeah yeah should have uh, followed you mate I uh, know that idea of part-time and uh <laughs> That was hard. I mean, that was part of the, the cool thing about that open space was there were so many good sessions you want to go to, but you can only go to one. I mean, I went, one I went to was a support group, um, so, you know, where we could talk about some of the, the not-so-good um, successes and, and what we did when we've been working with teams. So, again, that, you know, that idea that actually as an agile coach, when you're on, on working with a customer on your own, there is a network of other people that, mm. you know, willing have the same background and experiences or, or similar and are willing to, you know, talk and share and listen and support. I thought that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, so one of the ones I went to was um, there was a, someone, I think I think it might have been Nigel that used the um, plate smashing out of the cupboard. So um, it's whether you board up that cupboard and stop those plates from smashing and then put a nice curtain over the over the front of them and pretend they're not there mm -hmm. or do you actually um, are you the person that will just let those plates smash and then clean up the debris afterwards yep so we had that as a topic and it was really interesting about you know as an agile coach or as a scrum master is it your role to pick out things in the organization that are screwed up and fix them so um, really robust discussion about that um, is there any, any any tips for, you know, top three tips on, on how to solve it? Um, I think we came to the conclusion that we'll do our best, but you can't be responsible for shit that's outside of your scope. But, yeah, it was quite a nice visual of those plates just ready to go smash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And then do you fix it or do you not? So I think for me, you know, one, one of the um, things right at the end was the key takeaways. And I think for me... There's probably two, two that resonate strongly and that are, you know, in Wellington and, and Auckland, some people have travelled, 
Uh, yeah, I actually met some people from Australia. Oh, really? Kind of cool, yeah, flew all the way over. But, you know, as an Agile community, we have some really strong, passionate and experienced people that are passionate about helping teams and, and making making them deliver in better ways with more fun. I think that's, that's the first one. And the second one is a recurring theme that while working with teams from a bottom-up approach is, uh, helps the team be more successful, when you get that C-level, when you get that person yeah. at the top that's uh, bringing the business agility with them and, and driving that, that transition of the organization from their current way of working to a new way of working, you know, it's like a, it's like a magic unicorn. Um, yeah. You know, when that happens, uh, it's, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too, in regards to that one. I had some really interesting chats over a couple of beers at the end of day one, and and that was the that was the theme that, uh, that a certain group of us were talking about, and that was uh, what works best. Is it bottom up or top down? We've tried bottom up a few places. Other places have. Um, I've never been in a bottom down type scenario, um, but I've heard that it's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then um, I think just to close out on Twitter, um, one of the things that they did, which was kind of cool, was uh, you had these little post well little notes where you can write down your aha moment um, and then post it up for everybody else. Some of the really cool ones is there is, you know, be trustworthy with our data. Yeah, that, that's Hillier talking about, uh, you know, New Zealand can be to trust as Switzerland is for neutrality. So that, that thing came through quite strongly, I thought. Another one there was, you know, the only thing more difficult than starting something new in an organisation is stopping something old. I like so that. I like that, you know, sometimes it's just because it's always been done that way is one of the hardest things to change. One of the, from a personal point of view, was uh, you know, the, the hard moment they wrote up was my difference is my strength, my superpower. So, you know, we often try and downplay you know, why we're different or how we're different, but using it um, in a safe way mm. is good. Um, another one is, you know, we do it because we want to do so much good. You know, the fact that the, you know, the people in the room really were there to, to help was, was kind of cool. The Agile Manifesto is not a religion. Obviously, came out of the Book of Dave. One, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which... Uh, I think it's really important. And, you know, another one was the world doesn't need more of the same. Um, that, True you know, we, we have to, to change is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, if I, you know, uh, because it was called just another frickin', and it wasn't the word frickin' Agile Conference, you know, the, friends. The, the language in it was pretty cool. Kind of closing one out, which came from, from Sandy Davey, um, and so we wrote down as the aha moment was, you know, what, what does Choice Magazine or, or Choice do over in Australia? Well, really, they keep the bastards honest. And yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was, uh, you know, in terms of right a, on, Sandy, a, that was gold. a mission or a vision statement uh, that, that was pretty clear. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, and another theme that seemed to um, resonate from the from the um, two days was that, you know, the um, responsibility of saving the planet, mm-hmm. um, and that was. Um, that was a big one with with Brahman. So she spoke about her her organisation um, and you know just the just the um, consciousness that they've got about being green. So yep, be agile and be green. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think in summary for me, it was good two days. Uh, I like the format. I like the format of. Um, you know, some, some presentations in the morning to get you thinking, and then the open spaces in the afternoon to yeah. to be able to, to work with people and, and talk to them that you haven't done before. I thought two days was a was a 
good lengths. You know, I think yep. one day would have been a bit short, um, yep. but two days was was a, a, a good. Yeah. No, overall, I enjoyed it. So, can't wait to go back next year. Yeah, and then one of the actually, sorry, just one of the other things that um, was talked about in one of the open spaces was some of some of the attendees talking about setting up a, a large scaled agile conference here in New Zealand. So, sometime next year, uh, looking to to run a conference of. I think they were saying somewhere between 500 and 1,000 people. So, you know, actually uh, bring that together. So let's hope that uh, that gets kicked off and, and people who can put in the hard yards for that. And uh, that would be quite awesome. Yeah, totally. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's us for this time. So we'll catch you all later. Cheers. See you.